0: Dre's come out and play. To another episode of the Deep Fire Podcast. As always, my name is Javier. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OMFG. It's Jav. Once again, that's O-M-F-G. It's J-A-V. Got some exciting news. We recently launched our Instagram page for the podcast. You can follow that at the Deep Fire Podcast on Instagram so you can interact with us on our, on our individual pages as well as the main page for the podcast. We're going to be posting clips. We are cooking up a lot of cool things in the background right now that we're going to start launching as the season comes along. There's a lot of cool rumors, a lot of positivity that we are going to have baseball very, very soon an actual kickoff of the regular season in July. So really excited. A lot of cool things happening. I'm back with Daniel. We're doing our top five rankings and today we're doing the first basement last week was sunday that's typically when we record it was mother's day we didn't want to interact or interfere with any just family ties and you know enjoying time with family so we're back let's get into it how are you doing good man it's
1: it's you know
2: It's been an adventure with everything happening, you know, every day, every week's a new week. You don't know what's going to happen. You hear one thing, everything's going to be good. And then next week, oh, it's going to get extended by a couple weeks. And what last update
1: I heard we're in quarantine until August, right? Um, I've heard some good things, Um, a lot of good rumors. I mean, baseball might be back July Yeah, they might get back into training, uh, like spring training 2.0 in June. And then after that, they're going to be starting games supposedly by July, so long as the players union agrees to it.
2: Yeah. When were they voting on that? Do we know exactly what the status was
1: on that? I don't know, man. So I'm sure you heard of Blake Snell's comments on it. He just wasn't too happy about the idea. There's been a lot of players to echo that as well. But MLB and the owners agreed to whatever deal that was, and then they were going to pitch that to the players' union. But it's negotiations, right? So that's when it starts. You know, They come up with an idea, give it to the players' union. They're going to come up with a different idea. Somebody's going to have to budge a little bit because we definitely need baseball back. Yeah, I completely agree with that. But anyway, man, so, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and just kick this off. So my number five, first baseman, I'm going to go with Josh Bell. So he's just been consistent. He's been in the league since 2016. Obviously, he plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Doesn't really have a lot of offense around him to begin with. He's not in the limelight as some of these other of some of these other players at his caliber are, just because of where he plays. So, being fair, I, if you just look at his career numbers, he's been consistent all the way around. Last year, he hit two seventy seven. He had an uh, on-base percentage of three sixty seven. Slugging five sixty nine. An OPS of 936. Um, I'm trying to find his K rate here because I was actually looking something I was actually pretty curious about. So, his K rate is at 19.2. K rate for Josh Bell. Yep. Yep. So, he strikes Mm -hmm. out 19.2% of the time. But he also walks 12.1% of the time. So, we joked around about when I think about first basements, I said, hey, I think about the big donkey, right? Someone who just hits for power. Doesn't hit for average. Doesn't hit for singles. Just it's going to be either be a home run or a walk. I think just the evolution of the first baseman, how that position has evolved over the last decade. Josh Bell kind of really encompasses like the all a well rounded player. He's going to be someone that gets on base. He's going to hit some home runs for you. He's not going to be the biggest power threat on the team, but he's just going to be consistent. And so for me, I think Josh Bell is the epitome of consistency. You know who he is. You know he's a standout out of that Pittsburgh organization right now. He's going to have a long career ahead of him, and hopefully he gets out of Pittsburgh at some point in the near next five years and gets a nice little contract. But Josh Bell is my number five.
2: Yeah, I have uh, have Josh Bell on my list. He's not number five for me, but he's definitely on my list. But uh, for number five on my end, it's going to be Jose Abreu. 33 years old. They signed him out of uh, Cuba and the guy's just a monster. I mean, he's got he's coming off of 2019 year, 33 home runs, 85 runs, 123 RBIs. He had a a 2.84 batting average, which for him is not his highest. His career high has been 3.04, but he's pretty consistent. I mean, he came in first year coming in from Cuba. He had 36 home runs, 107 RBIs, 3.17 batting average. Dip down to the 290s. Now he's at 284. So he he's he's coming off of uh, a year where he just didn't have the quality stuff in regards to batting average. He still hit 33 home runs, which is a fair number for a first baseman. Decent. But the interesting thing for him is he's got help. He's got help coming with Yaz. Chicago's one of those teams where... Each offseason it looks like they're trying to pick up somebody. They're trying to make an impact, trying to sign a player to see what they could do to consistently get better. Um that division they're in, I, I it's, you know, Minnesota has the keys to to win that division again. You know, the Indians are always contesting, but I think the White Sox are slowly but surely trying to make noise. You know, they they struck out on uh they struck out on Manny, which we talked about, you know, a couple episodes ago they do consistently try and pick up somebody to improve their team. So I like Jose Abreu. Uh, he had a career RBI year for, with 123. I think for him, he's only going to get better. For him, he's only going to get better opportunities to have more and more RBIs with the the lineup that they're putting around him. So for me, he's my number five, um, and he's somebody to watch to see if consistently he can get better, you know, in regards to runs and RBIs and uh, batting every
1: yeah, I, I like Jose Abreu. Uh, he's not on my list for a couple of reasons. I know he brings to the table. His WAR was just really low for me uh, to throw him on there, especially in a team that's he's been in he's been in Chicago for a while. He's on a team that he has he's surrounded by young people, so he needs to be stepping up and kind of really be that leader, not only in the presence but really kind of on the performance side as well. You know, he still had a positive WAR, which is great, but it was well below anybody else that's on my list. So that's one of the reasons why. But overall, I mean if I look at his numbers, uh, What, 284, 330, 503, uh, his slash line, so it's not bad. He was just consistent, I guess, would be a good word, but not a standout. But I like I like Brady, for sure. With my number four, it's going to be a little bit blasphemous, right, especially after the season this guy had, after the rookie season this guy had. But my number four is going to be Pete Alonzo. Like I said, it's going to be a little blasphemous because if you look at just the old who, who was a standout name at first base last year, the storyline was just great, right? Rookie year, led the league, broke the home run record. You know, got the nickname. You know, polar bear, big polar bear. I forget what his nickname is, but he he was just he was just a storyline last year, right? But at the end of the day, if you really break down his numbers and you look at it, so he hit 260, 358 on base percentage for the 583 slugging, 941 OPS, solid numbers hitting, not a horrible glove either. Overall, I think just Pete Alonso. He's going into his sophomore year. People are gonna make adjustments, and those adjustments are gonna be made. And I just—it's not that I don't believe that he cannot do it again or replicate what he's done, but I think it's gonna be a little bit harder for him. So I just—he's gonna be ranking a little higher on this list, you know, going into his third or fourth year once he's consistent, made made the adjustments after people have adjusted to him, and really just kind of learned the major league a little bit better. So number four for me is Pete Alonso. Just really impressed with what he did, but I just want to see a little bit more out of it. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. Um,
2: he's on my list. I have him a little bit higher than you do. And just like Bell, I guess we'll get to my opinion when we get to him on my list. So for number four, I'm going to have to go Anthony Rizzo, man. Anthony Rizzo is one of those guys, uh, I, I know coming from a San Diego point, it's difficult because he could have been a cornerstone uh, cornerstone for San Diego for a long time. And he's proven himself in Chicago. Uh, one thing I like about him is, he got to chicago and they sucked and he's been able to consistently just show day in and day out he's gonna work regardless if they suck regardless if they have 100 wins or 50 wins he's gonna play i i think that's just somebody you need as a leader from a leader standpoint but i, I believe he even he dealt with cancer at one point right in his life i, I I don't know all the details about that, but I, I'm pretty sure I did hear something about him beating cancer. So, yeah, so when you go back to it, you look at a first baseman. And, and for me, I've always looked at guys that play first base have always been leaders of their club. You know, you got guys like Frank Thomas, Don Mattingly, um, Albert Pujols, Mark McGuire. These were all first basemans that basically were the club. You know, when you when you thought of a club, you thought of that guy. You know, and and for me, Rizzo's that guy. You know, I know the Cubs got a lot of pieces that came that came in. Rizzo's just been consistent year in and year out. Last year, he had 27 home runs, 89 runs, 94 RBIs, a uh, slash line of 293, 405, and 520. Guy had a career high in his uh, on-base percentage, and I think one of the big key for him was that his strikeout percentage was only 14%. I think that was top number one spot among first basemen. I don't even know how it ranked among league, but I can only imagine among league leaders it's got to be up there because he didn't K a lot, you know, and that's one thing I like about Rizzo is that the guy's just absolutely consistent. He's an absolute, gives you a great at-bat, gives you that run when you need it. You know, he gets on base when you need him to. For me, the consistency that Rizzo has, you know, in reality I almost looked at him like he should be a lot higher on my list but I'm just kind of I like the other guys I got above him. I really really do like Rizzo. It's unfortunate that the Padres traded <laughs> traded him away. It's unfortunate that he plays for the Cubs especially because the Dodgers seeing the Cubs in the playoffs, you know, outside of the fact the rivalries uh the playoff runs and all that stuff, you know, the guy's a stud. It's it's hard not to like somebody like that who's just Grinds in day in and day out, and just plays the game and plays the game the way it's supposed
1: to be played. He's out. He's on my list as well. He's just a little bit higher on my list. Consistently, he should be on everybody's list just what he's done. And I'll speak more about him when I get to him. But just overall, I've just always been impressed with Rizzo and who he became as a player. My number three is probably the one I had the biggest struggle with putting him on because his career numbers aren't great, but his career numbers also came at a different position. But now he's more a little bit more permanently as a first baseman. So for myself, I actually have Carlos Santana number three for first baseman. So career wise, he's career numbers are not great, but last year he had an awesome year. He had 281 with a 397 on base percentage. His on base percentage has always been high, 515 slugging. And what I was really most impressed with him was his plate discipline. So he had a 15.7% walk rate, but he also had a 15.7% K rate. But just overall, the dude's just – he just had like a – I don't want to call him a breakout se- – I don't want to say it was a breakout season just because his he's always been there. And I've always been aware of him. I was aware of him as a catcher and then he that full transition of first base. I think he really kind of evolved and really came into that position and really understands his role in that on that clubhouse. The reason why I actually ranked him a little higher than Pete Alonso was because he's been in the league since almost, at this point, an entire decade. But he's been able to make adjustments, and even now he's still progressing. So he had a nine eleven OPS. The dude had 100, scored 110 runs, had 93 RBIs, could have been a little higher. But once again, RBIs are now are just more, it's like a fluff stat. Realistically, you really look at on base, you look at walk rate, batting average. And overall, like I said, at a 281, he had one of the best uh, best averages at first, at first base anyway. So. Carlos Santana for me number three. Like I said, he's for me. He's like I feel he's a surprise pick, but at the same time, I think he deserves to be there. He's going to be a little lower. Over, I think in the next year or two, he's going to drop down because you're going to have your Pete Alonso's and your Josh Bells potentially move up in the world. So,
2: yeah, I like Carlos Santana. Um, from a Dodgers standpoint, he was uh, signed by the Dodgers in two thousand five. Um, they tossed him around between uh catcher and third base i think he played a little bit of second base a couple outfield positions then he ended up getting traded for uh casey blake to the indians um and then you know he had a he had a pretty decent um career he's always had decent numbers then he signed with the phillies did okay and now he's back with the indians and like you said it's kind of hard calling it a breakout year but i i absolutely agree with you he really did have a breakout year. I mean, he matched his career high in home runs. He had a career high in runs, career high in RBIs, career high in slugging percentage. So a lot of these numbers that he had were just great. And I, and I think it it uh it's a testament to the clubhouse he's in. You look at the Cleveland Indians team and a lot of those guys on that team, they're uh, international players. You know, you got Lindor who has his background. You have Jose Ramirez with his background there's a lot of pieces in that organization. I think that that creates that almost home environment for him, you know, him being Dominican Republic. So I do like him. I do like his numbers. I don't have them on my list, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had a, a, he had a breakout year, you know, what are we 10 years into 10 years into his career? He had a breakout year, but he's never been awful. You know, he's always been decent. He's always had numbers there. You know, he was a catcher coming up and then he got moved around to first base, became a DH. So, um yeah, I do absolutely do like Carlos Santana. Number 3 for me is Josh Bell. I absolutely love Josh Bell. From the moment I saw him, he's just he's he's a beast. I mean, the guy's huge. You know, he's plays for the Pirates, which is I could only imagine the difficult part playing on the Pirates team. The guy's absolute monster. 6'4", 240, 27 years old. He This was his breakout year. I mean, 37 home runs, 94 runs for a Pirates team that wasn't showing much, 116 RBIs. His average was 277 on base percentage, 367, and a slugging percentage of 569. So, absolutely career year for him. I think he's only going to get better. He's shown that he has great power. And I think for him, it's going to be weird to see exactly what happens with him in that organization. You know, you had a guy like Jose Batista who really didn't show much pop. They traded him. He went to Toronto and then he just absolutely exploded. So it's going to be interesting to see whether he gets paid, which I highly doubt he will get paid in Pittsburgh. You know, he's absolutely going to be a monster. And I think he's going to be a monster at first base for a long time. Um, he'll make a great DH eventually if he ever chooses to go to AL. He's not horrible. His filling percentage is actually only 0.988, which is pretty low for a first baseman. He's set up to be a great power hitter for, for years to come, whether he chooses to stay in the NL and just play first or he moves to the AL and um, becomes a DH. But I do like Josh Bell. I'm trying not to hit some of the points you brought up with him. But um, yeah, he, he's. I think he's only going to get better. He's looking to basically get arbitration next year. He's still got two more years of service time. So he's a free agent. So he's obviously might stick around in Pittsburgh because he's basically not making much money right now. They might trade him for some pieces. I don't know. Obviously, the Pirates don't make some of the best trades, especially getting rid of Glass now and um, Austin Meadows, like we talked about. So it's interesting to see where he goes. It's interesting to see exactly how long he's going to
1: be a Pirate. I don't think he'll be a Pirate for very, for very long. And uh, only time will tell. Yeah, I think time will definitely tell. What one? When thing I would do want to comment, up, comment on is that you said eventually if he goes to the American League, he's going to make a great DH. But I think there's going to be a lot of dynamics that are going to be changing for this season, but they were talking about implementing a DH for the National League next year anyway. Um, so I think this year is going to be the trial run, but once there's a DH, there really isn't going to be a difference between the NL and AL in terms of how they operate, in terms of how they strategize their business, their day-to-day, you know? So I, would, I just wonder, like, these type of players who would be great DHS in the American League now that that's going to transition to the National League potentially and be a permanent factor. I wonder how that changes the dynamics in some of these clubhouses, just in how they draft, how they operate. And then the people, the current players like your Josh Bills, who might be able to come in and just take that DH role and be a career long pirate. But then that also builds. They can also start building around other pieces. Right. So it, what it, are your it, thoughts on
2: that? I mean, I know it's it's something I don't want to get too far off track here, but you know, obviously it's been around for a long time. NL, you know, not having a DH, AL always having a DH. I know this shortened season, it just kind of makes sense a little bit, just because you know you're talking time frames, you know, a shortened spring training. You don't want guys getting hurt. It, it just makes sense. You know, I, I get this year. But uh, going forward, I mean, what do you feel in regards to do you like it? Do you, do you would you rather have the DH in the NL
1: or is it something that you're just kind of, hey, I understand it's this year, but let's just get rid of it and move forward? You know, what? I, I have mixed feelings about it, but I but I do feel stronger about keeping it as is having that difference between the National League and the American League. I think having, you know, the World Series really plays a big role in terms of, you know, home field advantage really. Really matters on on both ends. On both ends, you know what I mean. So, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to feel about it. I, I get it. You know, just save injuries and keep people. You know, keep careers going longer. I think one of the biggest, uh, like the one that really stands out to to me was uh, Chen Ming Wang. Remember, he was doing the uh, interleague play, and then he rolled his ankle just going out going to home home plate. You know, he just rolled it as he was scoring, and then his career was over after that. So, I don't know. I get it. I get that there's a purpose for it, but uh, but I do enjoy the differences. Um, there's subtle differences, but at the end of the day, there's still a difference that make each league unique. But anyway, so my number two, you've already talked about this guy, but I'm going to go with Anthony Rizzo as my number two. Anthony Rizzo, man, former Padre. He was a Padre at 21, then we ended up training him. He's been in the league nine years. He's 29 now. Uh, I believe he's going into his tier 30 season, so he still has a good I want to give him a good four or five solid years in the league that he's still going to be productive. Obviously the, those later years are probably going to be a little less productive. But just overall, dude, uh, he has a great story. He's literally brought a World Series to this city that has, or to that team that hasn't won a World Series at that point, I think it was 103 years after 103 years. So he's just became a legend. He became a legend in Chicago, or at least in the Chicago Cubs um, storyline. So, I don't think you can take anything away from him. He's gonna. I think he's gonna end up being a Hall of Famer if he continues the career he's at. To qualify to be in the Hall of Fame, you have to have been in the league ten years, and he's coming up on his tenth year now. And if he keeps doing what he's doing, I mean, if you look at his off base percentage, his batting average, he's getting better with age. Um, you know, it, everything's just everything every single t- every single year, his batting average, his on base percentage, his slugging percentage, it's gradually just climbing and climbing, and you actually would figure that last year, I feel like Chicago Cubs had a little bit of an off, off year compared to their prior two. And even then you, you would imagine that decline around him, since there's a climbing around him that he would actually kind of go with the trend with the team. But in reality, he actually operates for a team and really goes to show the type of person he is and the leader that he is in the clubhouse. You've already spoke to all of his numbers, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything, but what I will say he had five stolen bases last year. So out of, so out of all out of my top five, uh, he had the second most stolen bases out of the first base. So he can do everything. He can hit. He can hit bombs. Gets some RBIs. Get on base. Get everything. Walk rates at eleven percent. K rates at fourteen percent. So the dude just put gets gets on base and puts people on uh, puts spawn play, which is all you can ask for out of anybody. So Rizzo for me is number two, and the consistency for me, I think, is really the key here. Is just who he is.
2: Yeah, I mean, my favorite part about Rizzo is that. Um... His baseball IQ is just off the charts. I I think that's something that a lot of people kind of, you know, there's guys that come in and they just have raw talent. You know, there's guys that come in and they're just raw fast. They just know how to hit. They can throw the ball 100 miles an hour. They just have that. But um, he has that ability to know, OK, I'm down one, two in this count. I already know what this guy's got. I know what he's going to give me. I know where it's going to be. I know pitch location. I know not to jump on this next pitch. OK, now I'm two, two. OK, he's going to give me something to chase. I'm not going to chase it. All right. I'm three, two. He's going to give me something high to chase. I didn't chase it. I got walked. He's got that ability to read pictures. He's got that ability to read situations, you know, when you got a left-hander coming up, he knows, all right, let me get down this line a little bit because this guy likes to pull. Oh, that guy doesn't like to pull. You know, he's an Oppo hitter. That's what I like about him. You know, he's got great baseball IQ speed-wise. He's not the fastest, but I guarantee you those five stolen bases he has were a result of his baseball IQ, the way he runs the bases, the way he leads off, the way he knows this pitcher doesn't like to, uh, to check me, you know, he's not going to check me. I'm going to get a bigger lead here. I'm going to take this base. Boom. Took the base. So that's one thing I love about Rizzo, you know, and it and it's difficult, you know, I like I said, for a Padre fan, you got to look back. I mean, they traded away. Like, like, like I was telling you earlier, you know, when we talk about certain teams, we talk about that cornerstone first baseman. They traded away their cornerstone first baseman and Adrian Gonzalez for Rizzo. And then they flipped him for, what Cashner, which is basically almost nothing, and, and it sucks just to know that you know, first base for the Padres since then has been difficult since Gonzalez left. You know, they went out and paid Hosmer, and it's hard to say and hard to agree whether you thought the money was worth it or the money wasn't worth it. You know, that's that's for you for your opinion and for the opinion out there of every single Padre
1: fan. Yeah, that whole situation with Hosmer, dude. I I think anybody. Would have paid Hosmer that money because yeah, I think he was just coming off a World Series run. Had the entire time he was with Kansas City, he was great. So he was going to get that money regardless. It's just sucked that it was us because the decline just came quick. The decline was just something that we just couldn't even measure at that point, right? You know, there's a lot of talk about you know Will Myers underperforming his contract and everything, but realistically, Will Myers is more useful for the team because he can play a lot of different positions whereas Hosmer I mean we're paying this dude 144 mil just to sit at first and then his glove last I mean he was always a gold glove winner but uh, a gold glove candidate but last year he was just rough so now not only could he not hit but he just couldn't perform at the level that he's performing past now I'm a huge fan of Hosmer I, I like who he is and I think he's gonna be able to put it together and hopefully he does obviously he still has a lot on his contract so he um, he's not on this list uh, for a lot, of, obviously, for everything we just mentioned it and more. But at the same time, just who he is big personality, leader in the clubhouse. The city loves him. The fans love him. I, I just he's going to put it together. Is he ever going to be a candidate to be on this list? I don't think so. But if he can just be above average, mid average, or just average, um, then he's going to be useful. He's not going to fulfill a contract, but he'll be useful. And right now, he just hasn't been.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the worst scenario as you look at it as are we getting our money's worth one? And is he at least contributing to what we could do here? And I think it's been hard to answer both of those questions with the yes. And I think that's the hardest part from a from a Padre standpoint, you know, is knowing that you paid the guy a lot of money and it's just it's not working out, you know. And, uh, you know, you you like the guy as a person, you like his attitude, you like his approach towards the game. But unfortunately, it's just he just keeps coming up short. All right. We'll get away from that. Um, for my number two. I got Pete Alonzo. And and I know we had talked about Pete. He's got monstrous numbers, uh, especially for a rookie, you know, which is great to see. But it's also kind of scary to see just because we've all understood that a lot of these rookies come out and they're just beasts and then everybody figures out what their issues are everybody figures out what's what's their kryptonite so the hope is that you know Pete's going to be around for a long time it's it's always great seeing a guy that just hits over 50 home runs I mean when's the last time you've seen guys hit over 50 home runs it's been a while you know
1: yeah um, at least it was fun so. to see you know growing up seeing what Sosa could do yeah, so yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's '90s, right? I mean, there's people that have played with it, you know, flirted with 50, but which is kind of crazy now, seeing it 20 years later, be, it be done. So,
2: yeah, and what's crazy is we talk about juice balls and we talk about uh, steroids back in the day, and I can only imagine what Barry Bonds would have did with juice balls, seeing the fact that he hit 70. Pete Alonso, I do like him at number two, just because it's it's great to see the numbers he put up and it's it's exciting to see the numbers he puts up can he do it again is the question you know is is it fluke or fact really you know what can we get out of Pete to dive deeper into Pete a little bit we'll go we'll go into this a little bit it's very replicant of Ballinger Ballinger showed that he could smash a fastball he could hit anything up in the zone but when it came to breaking balls low and inside he swung Playing this, I mean, he had the struggle during the playoffs, during the World Series run, and that was kind of his kryptonite. And the crazy thing is, Pete is exactly in the same boat. But we saw Ballinger kind of, you know, rebound whatnot. I mean, he came back up. His batting average wasn't as great. He definitely did a rebound. So it's interesting to see exactly what we're going to get out of Pete and what he could do in regards to replication of of what he produced. You know, as as a rookie season. Um, Against the fastball, Pete hit 295 with a 671 slugging percentage. I mean, that tells you right there the guy could hit. He had a 21.9% strikeout rate and 11.9% walk rate against the fastballs. The problem for Pete was everything and anything other than the fastball. Breaking balls, Alonzo hit a 203 with a 418 slugging percentage. He had a 37% whiff weight rate and a 34% strikeout rate. It wasn't the fact that he just had the 30% swinging strike rate, which was kind of huge. But for me, and especially talking about some of these guys who were patient at the plate, he only walked 8.4% of the time on breaking balls. So that just kind of tells you it's all or nothing with him. You know, it wasn't, let me see where this goes. Let me see where this is, you know. And um, in the league that are developing... It's high heat or some nastiness coming off of that pitcher. It's only a matter of time but before pitchers start realizing I'm not giving this dude anything fast and I'm gonna give him nothing but off speed. Uh, I think we saw that with Yasel Puig. You know, Puig came into the lead mashing everything in regards to fastball. And you've had guys come up against him or pitchers, you know, going up against him, and they said, I give him five pitches, all five of them were breaking balls. And they struck him out and he had the the difficulty dealing with it. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what we can get out of Pete in regards to is he going to realize his downfall? Is he going to realize what his issues are? Is he going to be more patient? Is he going to grow into that, you know, elite first baseman that he could be, should be and wants to be? Or is it just going to be an all or nothing uh, New York Yankee style? Either I hit a bomb or I strike out. But I'm going to swing the hell out of that bat and I'll figure it out which one I'm going to get. So, you know, it's going to be interesting what we get. But I I absolutely have to recognize the fact that the dude hit 50 plus home runs. And, you know, it's exciting for the game. It's exciting for the league. It's exciting for the Mets. You know, the Mets didn't have much going on. And so for Pete to come in and just show what he could produce was just absolutely fun to see.
1: Pete Alonzo was, like I said, he was just one of the storylines, right? One of the big storylines last year. I he can be rookie of the year, broke the rookie home run record, led the MLB home runs. I don't know if we're ever going to see a 50 home run season out of him again. I think he's always going to be flirting with 40, 45. And there's rumors that the ball's going to get fixed. So who knows? Maybe the ball becomes what it was five years ago, six years ago. And, you know, that 50 home run mark becomes that 30, 35 benchmark. You know what I mean? So Pete Alonzo. Uh, I like him as your number two. Like I said, for me, I had him as number four just because of, you know, we're talking about 2020 and what's to come. And and that's uncertain right now. And that's why I rank him a little lower. You know you know what you're going to get out of all the other guys just because they've been in the league long enough to, to get a better understanding of what they are. Even at their worst, they're still pretty solid. But for my number one, this guy is probably my one of my favorite first basemen ever in terms of personality, in terms of what he's done with with the organization he's in. He's always been competitive, everything. Last year, he had an, he had a monster season, so he hit 295. Oh, oh, sorry. Let me back up. It's Freddie Freeman. So Freddie Freeman's being number, my number one. So he had 295, 39 on-base percentage, which is awesome. I think that was the second highest or third highest on the list that I had. 540, 549 slugging with a 938 OPS. He Even with Pete Alonzo, all those home runs that he hit, he still beat Pete Alonzo in RBIs by one. So Pilonzo hit one twenty, Freddie Freeman hit one twenty one, and he was nowhere close in home runs. But it just tells you who he is as a hitter. He's patient, gets on base. I think his walk rate's at twelve percent, his K rate's at eighteen percent. He has a four war and he's just he's a staple in Atlanta and he is one of the reasons why Atlanta is as competitive as they are. And to be honest, like I'm I'm scooped. Atlanta's one of those teams that I'm scared to see what they're gonna become in the next two, three years because He's a veteran and he's consistent and he performs at a very high level. But, you know, your Aussie Albies, your Cunhas, these guys are going to mature and become great players themselves. And all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing a team that's going to be rep- be able to replicate what the 90s Braves did and go to the World Series and potentially get one out of you know, one or two out of the decade. So, no doubt in my mind that I think they're going to make a few World Series this decade. But I think Freddie Freeman, for me, he's going to be a key factor into why they make it. And if they win, I can guarantee that he's going to be a key fighter key factor into why they win it so freddie freeman and me i think he's a total package he's got the charisma the leadership the consistency the discipline and just overall what he's done for that city so and
2: hey, we finally hit one on the mark huh? for both of us we finally hit one on the mark freddie freaking freeman yeah the guy uh it's funny because i've always looked at freddie and for some reason he just he just he doesn't look like a stud (laughs) like he just doesn't have like a look like he's a stud player but um the guy is I mean one thing to put it put this into perspective and it's it's a key factor I mean the guy had um his rookie season was basically 2011 you know 2010 he had 24 at bats but 2011 was basically his first year so he's looking at um which would be his 10th year coming into the league which would be 2020 but one thing that's interesting that I didn't even realize is the guy has 1,451 career hits He's 49 hits from having 15 hits which is a huge mark huge that just tells you who he is and what kind of <laughs> what kind of player he is I mean 10 years into the league you know he's got nine seasons under uh, nine seasons under his belt and he's and he's already at 15 almost 1500 hits so he he's got that same kind of vibe for me as Rizzo does you know he comes in and he balls out days in day in day in and day out you know he, he comes in he shows up and he just seems like he never gets the acknowledgement for what he has you know um he didn't get rookie year he's kind of came up short in regards to MVP, MVP voting um year in and year out but he absolutely had a monstrous year I mean 38 home runs 121 RBIs that type of stuff and for him, you know, we also have to look at this. He's had all these years, all these years of being consistent with a team that wasn't a team that wasn't great at all. They weren't putting up talent. They weren't putting up a lineup that can show where, um, you know, what they could do. They've always had young pitchers who came in who've been kind of good, decent. They got a great pitching rotation this season. It's going to be fun to see what they could do and, and how deep they can make this run and i absolutely believe atlanta is going to be into playoffs you know for years to come we talk about the old atlanta teams where they had the andrew jones and the chipper jones and they had just the years of consistency of winning nle's titles and i absolutely believe that they could do it again i mean They got guys that are on that team that could hit. They got guys on that team that could get on base. And this 121 RBIs for Freddie, I do not believe that's a fluke. I think that's a number that Freddie's going to consistently hit year in and year out. 100 plus RBIs, no problem. Last year, he played 158 games. The year before, he did 162. And he had actually two seasons where he only had 117 games and 118 games just because of some injuries and issues that he had. He still comes in, puts in the work, and it shows. I mean, he's one of those guys you would just you want to build a team around, and I absolutely love Freddie Freeman. I, I, even though he's he's a a Brave, and I really don't see the Braves that much, you know, in regards to them playing um, then out west. You know, we do see at least one series here or there, or the two series a year, but. He's just—he's just one of those guys. That I just would love to see him exceed. I just love to see him do well. You know, days that he—I hear that he hits two home runs in a game. Hell yeah, Freddie Freeman. You know, and, and it's just he's just got that look. And and my favorite part about Freddie is—it just—he just, just kind of look like it doesn't seem like anything bothers him. Like he comes in, goes to work, and he just—he just has fun doing it. You know, we we constantly see guys come in and they just try way too hard, and you could tell. You know, you got. You got guys that are coming in and just crushing the ball, but for Freddie, it just seems like it's 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 so natural to him. It's just, eh, just another day at the office for him, you know. And you know the stack lineup that that the Braves have and the the possibilities and opportunities that they have coming their way. Like
1: you could only wish the guy the best, you know, just because of the type of person and type of player he is. Yeah, he's one of those guys that you just you just root for to win, you know. Uh, another guy that we talked about, just someone that you just want them to win is Felix Hernandez. So. Funny enough, they're on the same team now, so if if they both win it together, then it kills two birds and one stone, at least for, for people that I think deserve one. So, let them, let them get their one, and but yeah, overall, man, I think uh, Freddie is the, I think he was the first, that stands out to me, that really kind of changed the way the first base position was played. I remember when he was coming up, Ryan Howard was in his prime, maybe a year or two removed, but that was the, the quintessential first baseman, right? Big, hit a lot of home runs, hit for power, not necessarily RBIs. Um, Adam Dunn, another guy, and then Freddie Freeman came in and all of a sudden here's a guy that can hit for power, but it, it's really the, the average, right? The average, the play discipline, get on base. You see a lot of these guys begin to replicate that. I think Pete Alonzo is it, just one of those dudes that you, you know, Freddie Freeman and Rizzo are on the same boat. I think Pete Alonzo, he's he's going to need to evolve his game a little bit but he's also someone that i see is going to be here for a very long time if he can stay healthy he's a big dude he carries a lot of weight on him so you see these bigger yeah. guys get hurt uh, or their careers end a little earlier than they should so hopefully he just stays healthy and continues to do what he does cuz whatever happened last year that was just that was just a really fun fun show really something something really excited about Freddie's gonna be consistent and just gonna be good dude. And as you said, I think uh, I think you and I are not the only ones who just root for him.
2: Yeah one one guy that comes to mind, and I just want to throw this out there, is uh, Joey Votto. Uh, Joey Votto, you know he um, he's always been a consistent first baseman. He's always had a consistent amount of hits. Um, never been a massive home run guy. I think his career high is like thirty five or thirty six or something like that. When you thought of the Reds, you, you thought of Votto. And he came in, he did his thing day in and day out. He was a leader in his clubhouse and he still is. I mean, you know, I'm talking about it like he retired already. You know, he's still around. He's still doing his thing. And then Freddie's exactly like that guy. And and what's crazy to think is Freddie's been in this league, like we said, this is going on his 10th year. And I swear, it, it feels like Freddie just got into the league a couple of years ago. Like, it feels like it's, it hasn't been that long, but it has, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, exactly. Like you said, you know, you just there's those guys in the league. You just kind of wish them the best, you know. And
1: and Freddie Freeman is just is just one of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Now there is one more person that I want to talk about. That his numbers just came up and it really stood out to me for a lot of reasons. But Yuli Gurriel. So he had the lowest K rate out of uh, any, out of any first baseman in the league, and he had the Lowest walk rate out of any first baseman in the league. So he had a, he walked at six six percent of the time. Uh, sorry, he didn't have the lowest walk rate, but it was significantly lower than than uh, most. But it kind of tells me, right? You tell me that they weren't cheating last season. You know, saying so you look at those numbers and you think, like, why why wouldn't you walk? And why wouldn't you strike? So you don't walk a lot because you know what's coming. So you know, so you know you're going to put the ball in play. A lot more if you know exactly what's coming regardless if it's an off speed or a fastball, and you're not gonna strike out a lot because you know what's coming, so you're gonna put it in play. so just those numbers are just so significantly compared to the rest of the league it's it's just it's just nuts to me to look at that and I saw those numbers and based on those numbers like Gurriel Guriel should be a little higher on our list, maybe even contemplating pushing one or two guys off this list based on just what he did but but realistically, you know, you know it's tainted, right? And and they say they didn't cheat last year, but just look at those numbers. You, Gurriel is not that type of player. He's not a player that has that much discipline that puts a bond play that well. Um, it's just to me, it's just it just puts more shade on the fact that these guys cheated, and I I truly believe that they still were cheating up until last year.
2: Yeah, it, it's hard. You know, it's hard to kind of put these guys into a list like this and really. Really find out if they were true or not. You know, you got Yuli who who's never hit anything over 20 home runs and then all of a sudden goes for 31. Uh, batting average has always been there. He's always sat around a high 290s, which is understandable. His first season in, though, he came in at a 260. So it's hard to tell whether he really got that good in one offseason or something just clicked for him and all of a sudden 290 was just his number. Another factor is... It's hard to believe that Yuli had this great of a year. And mind you, Correa missed a bunch of games. Altuve missed a bunch of games. You know, Brantley had a great year for himself. But in regards to batting-wise, you know, a lot of those guys didn't have great years, and they weren't really in the lineup. So it's hard to say being being a piece of this lineup, this, you know, in quotations, great lineup that Houston has, all of a sudden, and you're going to decide to give Yuli more hits when you got guys that came in like Toro, who really was never an MLB player, and now he's in, and you're going to pitch around him to get to Yuli. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's hard to believe that Yuli would see better pitches. He would become a better power hitter. He'd become a better on base percentage. He would get all these better, significant numbers really without the protection in the lineup. You know, we we talk about Ryan Braun when he had uh, when he stole the MVP from Matt Kemp back in the day. If it wasn't for Prince being Prince Fielder, Braun would have never had the numbers he had. You took Prince Fielder out of that lineup and Braun was never Braun. And then we talked about steroid issues with him and that's a whole different conversation. But it's it's the same concept. You need that guy to be your protection. You have a guy that can protect you. All of a sudden, you become better. You know, whether it's the guy behind you or the guy in front of you, you see better pitches. Andre Ethier talked about it. Him being having Manny Ramirez in that lineup made him better. He saw more pitches because they didn't want to get to Manny and he showed up. You know, he became the comeback king for one year because of that reason. They gave him more to hit. So it's hard to take Yuli and say, hey, these numbers, are they legit? You know, are they real?
1: I mean, am I really going to look at this and say, you know what? Yuli is that good. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, i think twenty twenty i mean twenty twenty would have been the testament now but now we're really i mean realistically we've got to wait till what twenty twenty one to get a realistic time frame of what he can do because um, obviously yeah, if, we do, if even if we do have a, a season it's gonna be a shortened season and anybody can catch fire in a shortened season right if all of a sudden our season goes from six months to four months and all of a sudden our you know playoff run goes from you know a whole month to two weeks three weeks just to try to not do it in november it, it it's kind of it's going to be questionable, and even if he performs well, it's always going to be questionable, at least until 2021 if he can do it again, and that goes for all of them, not just Gurriel, but but for me, yeah. I, yeah, like no, I said, that's I, absolutely right. I, yeah, the reason why I brought it up is just, like I said, to me, that those numbers were just so significantly different from the MLB average and from the people who are on our top five and were praising the numbers that they had. And then to look at his numbers in Olsen and say, hey, there's something fishy there. As much as they want to say that it was only in 2017, maybe in 2018, they 100% were still doing it in 19 for sure.
2: Yeah. For me, one guy that I want to bring up, (laughs) I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm infatuated with the A's or I just, I love what they're doing over there. But Matt Olson, he had a career high in home runs, 36 home runs. He his, you know, his batting average was only a 267, which wasn't great. But his slash was 267, 351, and 545. You know, he had a breakout year for him. Uh, Only time will tell exactly how much more he can get, the further he can get. You had a couple guys on that team who showed out, a couple guys who probably could have did better. You know, Matt Chapman's one of those guys, too, who could probably have a better year. It is it's 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 cool to see guys that have these breakout years and kind of see, hey, you know, we'll see what we can get out of him. Um, I don't think he was good enough. He hasn't showed um his history that he's in a top five for me. But he is one of those guys that could be on the on the cusp of getting into, you know, a household name. You know, a lot of those ace players aren't household names. Some of them deserve the praise. Some of them, hmm, you know, had a good year, just one good year, you know. Max Munty, another one, you know, he's back to back years, 30 plus home runs. He was never doing anything when he got released by the A's. You know, he 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 got into a lot of metrics, uh, launch angles, hit angles, pitch angles, things like that, that what forced him to get better, to get into this 30 plus um, home run season for him. And, um, you know, it's always fun to see those guys and see what they could do. Um, One thing about both of them is they were both sitting at 25 percent K rate, which is Not really that good. You know, we talk about Rizzo, who's in that, a 14%. So that just kind of tells you exactly what the issues are, you know, what you're chasing for, what you're looking for, what, you know, what you're kind of uh, uneasy about and you're chasing things. So, you know, a couple things to look out for a couple guys. We didn't talk about Ballinger. I don't see Ballinger as a true first baseman anymore. To me, he's an outfielder. Um, I didn't have him on his list.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think Ballinger is... Even though he has the ability to, and even though he still might play 15, 20 games at first base just to give them a break and, you know, play some, move some pieces around the outfield, he's still not a true first baseman. Somebody I do want to just throw out there real quick. I know we're kind of running long on time, but just looking at these numbers, man, uh, it's pretty impressive. But Trey Mancini uh, out of the Orioles, dude hit uh, 291, 364, 535. 106 runs scored, 97 RBIs, one stolen base. He had a WAR of 3.6. So the dude showed out last last year. Unfortunately, you just you're part of Baltimore, right? And you're last place team, and and you don't really, um, you know, you don't really get the opportunity to shine. Uh, obviously, he still has had some struggles. Struck out 21% of the time, walked 9% of the time but overall I mean just look at those numbers like somebody has to produce somebody has to score runs to be able to produce runs in that team and and I think he really t- took on that role and, and and is doing it at a high level especially doing it in the east right when you think about who you play and the type the quality of pitching that's out there you got to face Tampa Bay you know 6 times a year uh, New York 6 times a year Boston 6 times a year it's kind of crazy so the fact that he did what he did in the league that he's in I just want to give a nod nod to Trey. Not that he, in my opinion, has done enough to be on the top five list, but he's definitely had a breakout season, and if he can put it together this season again, uh, I think next year when we do this again, we're going to have to really think about Manchini and and putting him in the top five. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So next time around, we're going to do the second baseman. I've already kind of got a little bit of a head start on it, so I'm excited to talk about it. Second base position's always one that... It, it, it's it's kind of similar to the catcher. It just depends what you want to see out of a second baseman. Do you want to see someone hits for average? Do you want to see second baseman with power? Do you like that defense? Does that does the defensive side really supersede the, the bat um, at times? There's a few players I can throw out to say, hey, I prefer the glove over the bat. if He can consistently do what he does uh, on the defensive side. So it's going to be an interesting conversation, and that's probably one that either we're going to, it's it's going to be I'm 50/50 on it. Either we're going to agree 100% or we're not going to agree at all. So we're all right, brother. Uh well, I'll see you next week. Alrighty.
0: And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the deep fry podcast brand new page for the podcast. And of course, you can always follow us individually. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OMFGAtav. Once again, that's omfg. It's j a v Go ahead and give Daniel a follow as well. Give it a like. Start a conversation with him at the Real DC Twenty Five. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for hanging out.